Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. I, for some reason, have this song twice, Steve. Yeah. It's a good one to have twice. I gotta find another one. Is there an Emperor State of Mind Part 2? Not that I'm aware of. You can spend the next 10 minutes looking for that, though. Yeah, you do an interview. I need a break. I need a break. I can tell. I can tell. All right, let's uh, let's bring on our final guest today, um, host of the College Basketball Takeover podcast. If you happen to be watching us on QSportsTalk.com, you see our next guest live and in person, Dan Siegel, joining us to talk some college basketball, talk some ACC basketball. Dan, how are you today? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on once again, and I'm doing well. Uh, all right, let's, let's start with... Uh, last night's loss and and there's been a lot made about the officiating last night and so I just I kind of want to ask you about big picture stuff so you you saw the end of the game I'm sure Judah Mintz uh, called for not just an offensive foul called for a flagrant one uh, as he was on his way to the basket his elbow um, caught RJ Davis in the nose for the second time they call a flagrant one and that essentially decided the game You, you look at how that was enforced opposed to what happened in the Virginia Tech-Duke game at the end where Virginia Tech scores to take the lead. There's a celebration. Kyle Filipowski gets hit in the neck. Um, Unintentional, but again, it was excessive. It was above the neck. They don't call a flagrant there, and Virginia Tech wins the game. Um, Just curious to get your thoughts on on how the flagrant fouls, and in particular the flagrant ones, are being enforced this year. And It just seems like there's not a whole heck of a lot of consistency across the board when it comes to uh, officiating. Yeah, consistency is the key word there. There's no like set in stone like way to call the game, but consistency is key. And I think that's the big picture here is that both of those examples that you mentioned, the Virginia Tech Duke example and the UNC Syracuse example, it was not intentional. It was basically incidental contact and same officiating, like the same conference, same like officiate like the the same like means of officiating and the fact of the matter is it was completely different calls and i think that's what's very frustrating and fans around the conference i mean i'm very active on twitter like they they're constantly frustrated about the inconsistency of the officiating crew and that's obviously just natural for fans to be that way but it's definitely frustrating, even as a neutral observer myself. Yeah, and and listen, if Syracuse wins that game by a point, nobody's talking about the officiating today. But again, it's another close loss for this team, and you know that, that's where I want to go next. Is you know Syracuse? I don't think there's any doubt they're playing better basketball. Like if you saw Syracuse in November and you saw Syracuse, you know this week, you would say, "Wow, that that looks like a different team." It, it un, it's unfortunate their resume though is still very much lacking. When you see the way they played against Miami and the way that they played last night. Um, what is standing out to you about how this team has progressed over the course of the last couple of months? Yeah, they've definitely progressed, and it's very unfortunate that they have those losses in the past. Obviously, you guys know, specifically um, Colgate and Bryant. Those losses are going to be killer because in Torvik, those teams are below the 150 mark. So in terms of like an NCAA tournament resume, that's really going to hurt. And then... The team has definitely gotten better, but have they gotten better enough, especially with the ACC being not very good, probably the worst of the Power Six conferences? Yes, there are plenty of opportunities for wins in the ACC, but even if 
let's say Syracuse finishes with an 11 and 9, 12 and 8 record in the ACC with a combination of that non conference play and their conference record, even if they've gotten marginally better, I don't think it's going to be good enough for them to really do what it matters. And that's make the tournament, especially with the standard that Jim Beheim has set for so many years in this program. It's probably another disappointing year, at least in my eyes. Yeah, and l- listen, this next week is really important. They've got Virginia Tech on the road Saturday, which would be a quad one opportunity. Then they've got Virginia at home next Monday, which would be a quad one opportunity. So um, I-, I know it's only you know January, but it feels like uh, you know this week is is very very important uh, for Syracuse as it as it tries to beef up its NCAA tournament resume. You know, when you look around the conference, it, it does seem very much wide open this year, Dan. There's not that one dominant team. If you had to pick one that is, quote-unquote, the best team in this conference, is it Virginia? Is it somebody else? Yeah, I definitely think 100% it's Virginia. I don't think there's much of an argument here. Now, there's definitely a smaller gap in between one and two and even one and, like, seven than most years. And I actually discussed this on my own podcast. We talked about, actually, the way it was phrased was differently. We talked about whether it was Virginia or the field that would get the one seed. That's how much we kind of felt that Virginia was above the rest. But I definitely said the field. Um, but as far as why Virginia is the best, obviously, you know, Clemson's ahead of them in the conference standings, but I just, they don't have nearly the non-conference resume that Virginia has. They've also played the 12th most difficult ACC scheduled to date. I think Virginia started out very well, obviously with those wins against Baylor and Illinois. And then, they struggled a little bit in the beginning of non-conference play, but it seems they figured out their formula. And especially on offense, they've gone more of that small ball lineup, which you guys will see this coming Monday when uh, Syracuse plays Virginia. They've decided to go more small ball with five players on the court that could shoot and the elite playmaking guards. And that seems to really propel their offense. And I don't think anybody else in the ACC has both the offensive firepower and the defensive consistency that Virginia brings to the table. What are your thoughts about Duke? Because, you know, for me personally, I keep thinking they're going to figure it out. Like, it's just a matter of time. They're going to figure it out. And and here they are, 5-4 and four in conference play. They lose another close one, obviously, the other night uh, to Virginia Tech. And they're sitting right now in the, in the middle of the pack. Um, and, and there's no Coach K this year, obviously. You know, John Shire yeah. takes over. I mean, are we all just to assume that Duke will figure it out, or are you concerned a little bit by the Blue Devils based on what you've seen? Well, I'm I'm definitely concerned, and the reason why I'm concerned is because the offense is nowhere near the where where it's been any of the last ten years. I think every single year they were top ten, if not top fifteen, in offense the last. 10 to 12 years that's since they've been tracking this stuff and i can't imagine it's been any different before they started tracking this stuff and this year they're they're in the 40s i believe so definitely it's a it's the offense that has really made me realize how different this duke team is even that year that they didn't make the tournament they were around 500 they had offensive options and they're their projected lottery pick at least before the season Derek Lively, one of the top recruits in the country, has been great on defense, but just not anywhere close to the offensive threat that we thought he was going to be. I mean, the 
based on the recruiting ranking he had and the offensive production that he's or the lack of offensive production that he's put on the court it's kind of unprecedented territory how disappointing he's been I want to go to the bottom of the conference and ask you about Louisville and, and Kenny Payne, and, and he obviously stepped into a very difficult situation. I don't think anybody, though, expected them uh, to be as bad as they are, right? 2-17 and 17 overall, 0-8 in conference play. Uh, do, does he survive this season? I mean, it, you know, it's it's unusual for a, a, a program to make a change, but it's been it's been so bad this year. Do you think Kenny Payne's going to be back in Louisville? I... It's it's tough to say because obviously at this point Louisville has reached rock bottom and then some and just based on how bad they've been this year and how I want to say incompetent they've been this year it's hard to believe that even if you give Kenny Payne two three years he's going to right the ship at the same time just look back at this offseason and the hire that they made like it was not the splash that you would expect a program like Louisville to make. Obviously it's easy to say in hindsight, given how bad they've been, but if the Louisville athletic department makes a statement that we're not going to make this splash higher, are they really going to move on from a coach after one year? I'm not sure. But then again, they've been, they had, they have two wins and we're here almost in February. So it's very possible, but I'd say honestly, there's less than a 50% chance they move on. Definitely a significant chance though that Kenny Payne is one and done all right so you you look at you know the the contenders in this league and you know you mentioned Virginia and I'm with you I think Virginia is probably the best team in this conference and I think North Carolina maybe has the most talent and we saw them up close and personal last night and um, you know they're seven and three in conference now and I think they're going to be just fine We, we mentioned Duke what about some of these other teams that are you know in the upper echelon of the conference standings right now. Clemson, as you mentioned, leading the way. Uh, Wake Forest has a nice team, and, and they've got some good wins. Miami um, has some good wins. It, of Wake and Miami and Clemson, which one are you buying into the most in terms of a, a team that might be able to make some noise come March? I would say the team I'm buying in the most of those three is Miami for sure. Um, they have a formula with Jim Laranega that obviously worked last year to get them to the Elite Eight. and they're also in very good shape right now. Like if the season ended today, they're definitely in the tournament. They have that win over Virginia, the top team in the conference, like we mentioned, in terms of how good we think they are. And they don't have like that lottery pick type talent, but they have so many guys on the on the floor that could score. They just they play such a unique style with their small ball and just they're basically harassing the ball handler for wherever he is on the court and they're just they're so well coached. I think what they've done is sustainable. I'm not sure what Clemson has done is sustainable. And Wake Forest, I really worry about Wake Forest defense. They their three point percentage against especially they really struggle to close out on shooters and prevent teams from getting super hot against them. All right, last one for you. Um, I know there's still a lot of basketball left to be played, but um, if you had to kind of pick a Final Four right now, and you know you could throw an, an ACC team in, in there if you think they're going to make it, but even outside the ACC, who who do you like in the country right now? Give me like four or five names that, that you think is going to make a deep run. Well, definitely Houston. I think they – well, first off, I'm going to tell you the I think the formula for teams in March are teams – that have good guard play, a lottery pick, and length on defense. So that's why I feel like a team like Tennessee, for example, I'm not sure that they could sustain it with their offense. Purdue, who runs their entire offense through a big, I'm not sure they could sustain it. But teams like Houston, 
for sure. Uh, Alabama is a team I really like. UConn, not really. Um, Arizona is a team with a, a ton of talent and guys with length that could run the floor. So Arizona would probably be the third. In terms of a fourth, maybe I'll go with Baylor. So I'll go with Houston. But I say Houston, Alabama, um, Arizona, and Baylor. Okay. I like it. Uh, Dan, great stuff as always. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for uh, sharing your knowledge of the ACC and all of college basketball, and hopefully we can uh, do it again uh, You know, as we creep closer to the month of March. Yeah, appreciate you guys, of course. Thank you. All right, there he is, Dan Siegel, host of the College Basketball Takeover podcast. And uh, with that, we will hit our final timeout. Uh, still time to check in if you want to do so at 315-437-7644. We'll wrap things up next on ESPN Radio.